Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could tune in. Our guest today is Gary Cook, and he's the senior IT campaigner at Greenpeace USA. And they have just released a brand new guide to greener electronics. And we're going to be talking about what's in the guide. Um, and, you know, let's face it, electronics are everywhere. Uh, you're listening to us today on something that was probably graded in this guide. So I'm really excited to go through uh, the, the guide with Gary. And well, Welcome to Go Green Radio, Gary. Really glad to have you. Thanks, Jill. Great to be here. Well, the, the guide to greener electronics that Greenpeace USA has just released is really interesting. Um, you know, for a long time, when we talked about greening electronics, the emphasis was on e-waste. And I, I can tell you in the last nine years, Go Green Radio has done a lot of shows about e-waste. But this guide really dives into a lot of other issues as well. And before we get into the specifics, I'd love for you to give our listeners an overview of the criteria that you use to evaluate electronics companies for this guide, Gary. Yeah, thanks, Jill. Yeah. E-waste is certainly uh, an important lens, but we we looked at the sector uh, for the first time in a few years. We had seen a lot of changes and some big problems that we needed the sector to challenge. And so looking, it's not just within the product, where the product is and what happens to the product at end of life is still very important. But uh, we looked sort of further into what it goes into the product in terms of um, in the supply chain. In manufacturing, there's uh, a huge amount of energy going in, a, a tremendous amount as these complex devices uh, get more complex, more of the earth resources are needed, are going into our devices. And uh, as when we started the Guide to Green Electronics in 2007, uh, the, of course, a focus is also uh, remains a look at how these companies are eliminating the use of hazardous chemicals, both inside the product which is you know, often a factor in sort of with e-waste, but also in what happens in the manufacturing process. So there's been big problems with uh, exposure to hazardous chemicals in the workforce, uh, in the manufacturing supply chain. We need to get a, uh, in the sector to change, tackle these issues, really look at how we can, how they can reduce their impact on the planet because ultimately these devices are uh, increasing their impact rather than reducing, and we need to change that. Absolutely. Now, talk to us about the companies that you evaluated for the guide. Um, I know that this doesn't come till later in the guide, but there's a methodology behind the, the data that you collected, where you got it from. Um, how did you ensure the efficacy of the data as you were evaluating the companies that you did? Yeah, that's a great question. We, we certainly talked to the companies uh, extensively. I mean, this took about about an 18-month process as we relaunched the guide and looking at with this, with this new set of criteria. Uh, certainly looked, talked to the companies, probably most of the companies we had a couple of different rounds with. We also talked to a lot of um, experts in the field, uh, local governments who are handling the e-waste or e-waste recyclers uh, down the chain. We, we talked to people who are talk, you know, engaging with the workers in the manufacturing process. Also, we look at the uh, experts in the field looking at the uh, mining that's required to 
you know, create the minerals, et cetera, that go into our product. So we looked, you know, talked a lot to the companies, but also dug pretty deep into the supply chain, both on the manufacturing side as well as on the extraction side. And then, again, at, at end of life. So it, it took us some time. Uh, had a few rounds with the companies to make sure we understood what, where we, where they, where they're running the obstacles, and uh, talking to the experts where we think there's real opportunities for changing the model in a way that would really Im- reduce the sector's footprint. Mm-hmm. And I liked the way that the guide highlighted what items of data were public information, and furthermore, which items of data you really think should be part of public information. And so we will get a chance to talk about that, but I I really appreciated that piece of the guide myself. Um, And just to give us a rough idea of some of the companies that we're talking about, who were some of the companies on your list? Yeah, so for for the guide this this time around, we are focused on primarily the major manufacturers of personal computing devices, so smartphones, tablets, PC, laptops. So that includes, you know, Google, and uh, is increasingly coming a hardware company, Apple, Samsung, HP, Dell, um, brands that are pretty well known. To, to most of your audience, most likely. Also, some brands that are uh, increasingly becoming really big in Asia and growing uh, very fast elsewhere, like Huawei and Xiaomi and uh, Oppo and Vivo, who are some of the largest, uh, globally at least, smartphone manufacturers, um, still a uh, relatively small percentage of the market in the U.S. Let's talk about some of the problems that are inherent in the current business model for the IT sector. I'd like to start by having you talk to us about the energy that it takes to manufacture Mm -hmm. our electronic devices. And I'd like you to touch on both the amount of energy that we're talking about, but also, and this is really important, the fuel source for that energy. Yeah, absolutely. So, in taking a, a slight step back and looking at the IT sector overall, I mean, just our use of digital equipment, um, so not just devices, is is pretty significant. And we are, we've looked at this for a number of years um, since 2010, particularly focused on internet companies and the use of, of energy and data centers. And if you look at the sector overall, it's about roughly 7% of global electricity consumption, maybe as much as 12% now, and growing very quickly. And for the manufacturing of devices, that's roughly you know, somewhere in the range of 2 two to 3% by best estimates. So it's, uh, that's already significant and growing very quickly. And in some places, is very concentrated in places uh, like in parts of Asia and China in particular that are very are still very reliant on coal as a source of electricity. And so as we're part of the, the challenge with the current model, we have a lot of the manufacturing centered in places that are still heavily reliant on fossil fuels that we need to move away from uh, to address climate change and address air pollution in many parts of the world. And uh, right now, our increasing consumption of gadgets and our gadgets in many places are not, we're quickly being encouraged to purchase new gadgets every you know, year or two. Uh, that's right now. More gadgets means we're burning more fossil fuels, more coal, and we need to, uh, part of the challenge is reducing that that turnover. A big part of the challenge is also re- changing the, the energy source that's going into how our products are manufactured. 
Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of fanfare was was made when Facebook and Google and Apple made commitments to electrify their data centers on 100% renewable energy. But what are some of the ways that they could take responsibility um, to power other parts of their operations on renewable energy? A lot of times, you know, when I talk to folks in the manufacturing world, they kind of throw up their hands and say, well, you know, we're reliant upon the utility from which we buy our electricity. And so whatever their portfolio of green energy is, that's what we're stuck with. What is your position on what the leaders in the IT industry could be doing to go beyond that line of thinking? Yeah, I mean, the the good news here is we've actually seen a number of IT companies, particularly those who are operating data centers, and that includes Apple and Google and Facebook, as you mentioned, they've already really changed their thinking about this. I mean, that was when we, um, in 2010, when we first really started looking at the uh, amount of electricity going into data centers and, and Facebook in particular, that was kind of the response we initially got, just as you described, oh, we can't possibly do anything, we're just, we're just using what we're given. Uh, I think that's really changed in a good way, fortunately, where you see companies recognizing they have... You know, they have control over where they put these these facilities. They have uh, the very influential and a lot very sought after by both utilities and local governments to uh, locate their data centers or manufacturing facilities in a particular state or region. And if they use that influence, they can actually change the what what type of energy is coming up the grid, or they'll or change the rules or change the level of access to renewable energy. That maybe wasn't that was not there previously, to where because the local jurisdiction or the local utility is like, hey, we want you as a customer. What we understand, you have these commitments. They understand if we want to keep you as a customer or have you continue to grow where we are, then we have to change the product we're selling. And that means more renewable energy. So we've already seen a big transition there on from the data center side, and it's going to be more challenging on the. Uh, on the manufacturing side, because there you're moving from where uh, companies, they most, a lot of companies own and operate their data centers, but for say Apple, for example, most of their footprint, uh, greenhouse gas-wise, is in their supply chain. They don't own directly those manufacturing facilities, so it's going to require much more of a partnership and uh, investment in trying to change the relationship to deploy renewable energy alongside your your manufacturing partners. Absolutely. Now, one of the criteria that the guide used to evaluate companies was advocacy. And I'm just wondering, you know, what evidence of advocacy on energy issues would help a company earn an A+. Uh, Nobody did. (laughs) But for the next issuance of the guide, what kinds of things would you like to see them doing and, and documenting maybe for the public when it comes to advocacy for clean energy? I think because we have such a short period of time to make this transition to renewable energy and to re- phase out fossil fuels, especially coal, we really need to see companies stepping up and using their 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 influence in ways to change the rules. Uh, I think you've started to see evidence of that. And uh, Tim Cook uh, from Apple CEO was actually quite strident in the past year. A number of other IT CEOs spoke out uh, when there was discussion of the U.S. withdrawing from the Paris Agreement. I think you've seen, you're starting to see signs that they recognize that in order to get the renewable energy supply they want, they're actually going to have to become much more 
forceful throw some elbows in the policy space in a way they haven't before. So I think we just need to see uh, see it be very visible and repeated because it's it's uh, it's not sort of a one one shot and done thing. It's going to require consistent pressure from IT companies and other companies who want to change the where their electricity is coming from. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, you know, Silicon Valley is beginning to wake up and realize that they could have as much influence as Wall Street <laughs> when it comes to campaign finance and all the other things that have, you know, good and bad ramifications on our public policy. And so I think we're beginning to see um, that come to light. And hopefully that will result in some good public policy when it comes to clean energy um, work. We're going to take a quick break, uh, but when we come back, we'll have so much more with Gary Cook and the Guide to Greener Electronics that has just been released by Greenpeace USA. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. I'm so glad that you could all join us. And in case you're just tuning in, let me catch you up. Our guest today is Gary Cook, and he is a senior IT campaigner for Greenpeace USA. And they have just released a brand new guide to greener electronics. Fascinating read. And Gary, I want to give you a chance to let our listeners know how they can download or or at least take a look at the guide themselves online. Could you give us some directions on that, please? Absolutely. 
Yeah, if you just go to www.greenpeace.org forward slash greener guide altogether, and that will the the report is literally it's a web based report. It's easy to read through, um, and we'd love some feedback and comments from folks who are, as they could go have a chance to read it. Well, I think it's a, a very well done guide. I really enjoyed reading it. I am a green geek, though, so take that in mind. <laughs> but I think that a lot of our listeners, many of whom you know, rely upon personal electronic devices um, for their you know, everything, basically, <laughs> um, will really be interested in reading about the life cycle of those devices and, and how maybe even they as consumers can play a role in making sure that those electronics are greener. You know, when we think about electronics and our smartphones and our laptops and tablets, etc., we forget that there are human beings that are involved in the supply chain and our electronics rely upon something called conflict minerals to operate. And Gary, I would love for you to help us understand the environmental and the human health implications of the use of these conflict minerals. Yeah, absolutely. Conflict minerals uh, basically refer to a, a class of minerals and, and currently the class is focused on uh, tin, um, tantalum, tungsten, and gold. Uh, and that, that list may expand. But basically minerals where, because in, in, for those four at least, they're concentrated in certain areas of the world and particularly in the DRC, Democratic Republic of Congo, where uh, the extraction and sale of those minerals in, in, in many places or in historically recent past has been fueling basically uh, armed conflict where it's the, the 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 it's basically people who are controlling that supply chain are taking that money and buying arms and it's driving com- furthering conflict in the Congo uh, and so there has been a recent effort in uh, particularly from US brands who now have to report their supply chain of conflict minerals uh, for publicly traded companies in the US and that's starting to have an impact in sort of shedding more transparency in what's going on, better uh, accountability in the supply chain. That's starting to get at it. Uh, I think it's for a lot of the, and this cobalt is another one that is in- becoming an increasing concern in a similar way. And also, and not just from fueling armed conflict or the danger of that, but also from the dangerous mining practices that are occurring in, especially in the NDRC but elsewhere, and, and so that's it's often very hazardous uh, for the workers there. And so I think we need to look at that. I think you, you see some companies understanding that they need to try to change their supply chain and make sure it's coming from safer sources and not fueling this armed conflict. Uh, I think in, even for more fundamental change, you, the announcement from Apple this past year was an interesting one in terms of setting a new expectation about what type of change needs to happen, where they said, we actually want to uh, transition our supply chain, these minerals, to be fully uh, closed-loop recycled. So where they're, not in, where they're getting the, the minerals they need, not from the ground by digging more materials up on a cons- you know, an increasing basis, but actually uh, getting them from recycled products. 
that would be refreshing because I'll tell you, once we get those minerals imported, wouldn't it be nice to just keep them stateside and keep reusing them if that were possible instead of continuing to import these these minerals? And and what is the environmental impact of the mining of some of these minerals? I mean, it's not like, you know, there there's no scarring of the earth or, you know, pollution to the surrounding communities. Give us a little peek into what happens around these mining operations environmentally. Yeah, oftentimes you, you do see uh, significant environmental impacts from mining in terms of the, the tailings that uh, like when you dig up the, the ore or the rock and typically you're talking about you know, having to extract you know, 350 times more uh, rock than you actually get and you know, what is actually compared to what actually goes in a phone. So it's you know it's such a huge amount that you have to dig up to get such a small amount, and so that has uh, you know certainly scarring the landscape. You often have huge water quality problems with gold in particular. You have um, problems with the use uh, you know escaping of cyanide uh, that's used to separate the gold from the surrounding um, ore or minerals. Uh, another another category of uh, minerals that is very Harmful in my mind speaking um, is rare earth minerals, mm-hmm. which um, are included uh, in in certain types, certain electronic components, and that you know requires a lot of hazardous chemicals to extract from, separate them from the whatever material surrounding material they're in. So there's big impact on the mining side in electronics, and I think you see that really. Uh, growing in terms of the type you're seeing as we're getting more complex devices that require more minerals. And so that's increasing the mining footprint of the sector, something that uh, we only see in the beginnings of how to change that. And it's not just electronics. It's, it's really, if you look at uh, where we're going with um, battery technology, a lot, a lot of the batteries require the, you know, similar types of mineral mixes to um, generate, create the battery storage. And you see, so you're seeing it's not just electronic companies who are concerned about these issues, but also auto companies who are looking at their electronic, electric vehicles in the future. Well, and, and this is one of those things where, you know, it's great if we can transition away from foreign oil, which is both finite and conflict riddled. But, you know, we, we need to be very sure that we're not trading one geopolitical mess for another, um, because some of the locations where these rare earth minerals are currently extracted from the earth um, have a mm, sort of instable, unstable, you know, relationship with the United States at times. It's not always um, our buddies that have these, you know, these minerals. So we need to be on the lookout for, um, uh, you know, a a stable and geopolitically um, positive way of of bringing these minerals home for for these products. You know, that's true. I would say uh, companies actually recognize that risk already. And some of them are actually looking to figure out how they can substitute um, in their product, you know, not even use these minerals. So they're using things that are much more commonly available because they're concerned, in, in, as you alluded to, con- constraints around the supply and disruptions to supplies that would really impact their their product line. Well, and as a former 
military officer. I appreciate that. And I know that all of my friends who are still on active duty appreciate that as well, because a lot of times, you know, when companies operate globally, they have concerns about the supply chain, but not as many concerns about the people, the men and women who are keeping those shipping lanes and trade lines open. So I do appreciate that. Um, You know, we talked about the status of e-waste and um, I'll never forget when 2020 did the expose on e-waste over in Asia and we were seeing little children and women because they had smaller fingers digging into, you know, the e-waste to extract some of the precious minerals. Um, How is it going with e-waste? How much are we creating? How much are we recycling? Are we doing a great job there or not? Um. Unfortunately, we're not. And in terms of scale, uh, try to give some some sense of how large that is. I mean, recent estimates have put the amount of e-waste generated per year at roughly 65 million metric tons. Okay, what does that mean? So, lo- looking at it, if you from uh, where I am this morning in San Francisco, that amount per year would cover the city in 14 feet deep. Whoa. And so that's just in one year. And so that's the amount of scale. And how much are we recycling? Uh, the best figures that are out there, is, you know, it's it's less than 20%, probably more around 15 or 16% are actually being recycled. So it's we still have uh, a significant improvement uh, to go there. There's, you know, there's part of what we focused, we're focused on. There's, there's challenges in the recycling side, but there's also uh, challenges that are being made more difficult by the manufacturers in terms of, how they design the products. Mm-hmm. If they, uh, just, so that's a big part of our, our challenge now is asking manufacturers to design in a way that at, when the, you know, the product will last as long as possible, but when it, that end of life reaches, that is it, it's, it's easier to uh, disassemble and recycle the product. If you have used uh, a tremendous amount of adhesive and glue unnecessarily, that makes it much more costly, much more difficult to recycle the uh, product at the end of the day when it's done and and so you, you really have much lower recycling rates as a result it's too expensive for the recycler to really disassemble and harvest the materials more properly more typically what you're seeing now is that it's just going into a shredder and so you have much lower resource recovery in the end and and when products go into a shredder i mean are we able to recapture any of the conflict minerals the rare earth minerals etc you certainly can't. It's much better if you disassemble uh, the you know, pieces bef- without just throwing the entire product in the shredder. And so if you start from that and then you are, are actually focused on trying to get as much back as you can, you can actually require re- uh, recycle quite a bit. It may require you to send some components to one smelter that's good at recovering this mineral and another component to to another one that is, is better. And so that's... that. Right now, that's not happening. Uh, at best, you have kind of like, well, you shred the entire thing and you're probably covering the things that are most valuable, which is you know things like gold or more precious minerals that have a higher market value. Mm-hmm. Now, what impact does it have on that whole end of life cycle when, um, you know, we have producer responsibility uh, programs or take back programs? Uh, how does that uh, inform the engineering and design of the products? Well, I, I think uh, if if you actually had full producer responsibility where the producers had were required to take back, you know, across all their markets 
to take back and recycle this, their component, their the products they've sold, you would probably see them have uh, you have better products designed for recyclability. And I think you actually see that already on for a number of companies who are uh, focused on the business side of the the market. So HP and Dell, for example, who are selling a lot of their products to businesses, many of whom uh, want to have the ability to repair their devices and keep them in use much longer. And actually, you have business models emerging where you're not actually selling the computers, but you're actually renting them for a period of time. They actually come back to the manufacturer, and when you have, you know, then they can basically refurbish that product, upgrade the product, and resell it or re-release it, as the case may be. Those models are relatively uh, a small part of the market right now, but you, you certainly see the potential there, where it's it's a different Absolutely. type of model, and not not, a, not you move away from the linear model that we have currently, where it's it's dig up the minerals, spend a lot of energy, make the product, and then ultimately it is a short period of time for use, and then you're, you're tossing out. We really have to change that, and that's sort mm-hmm. of at the core of what we're we're asking the sector to address. It's kind of like technology as a service versus a product. And we're seeing that in other sectors of the economy where, you know, we're talking about transportation as a service and things like that. So that's kind of an exciting concept. we got to take a quick commercial break. But when we come back, we'll have much more with Gary Cook and the new uh, Guide to Greener Electronics. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. 
Welcome back to Go Green Radio. I'm so glad that you all tuned in. Welcome to the show. And I also want to remind our listeners that, you know, Go Green Radio, though it's been around for nine years and we do a lot of great interviews with subject matter experts, it's only a sliver of a part of a much bigger organization called the Go Green Initiative. That was a nonprofit organization that I founded back in 2002. It's an environmental education program that helps schools across the world, pre-K through university, do two things. We have two goals that have never changed. The first is to conserve natural resources for future generations. And the second goal is to protect children's health from environmental pollutants. So if you would like to be part of that network, everything we do is free. Um, so join us. Get a, get on our website and check us out at www.gogreeninitiative.org. Well, if you're just tuning in, let me catch you up. Our guest today is Gary Cook, and he is talking about a brand new guide to greener electronics that Greenpeace USA has just released. It's hot off the presses, so to speak, even though it's in digital format. Um, but it's a great comprehensive guide about ways that the IT uh, sector can become even greener, do more things to um, to make the products that we have become so reliant upon as lightly uh, treading upon the environment and human health as possible. Now, one of the things that the guide talks about, Gary, is this idea of planned obsolescence. And everybody who has had to buy a new phone every other year can understand what a pain this is. So talk to us about this concept and how it impacts the environmental footprint of the IT sector. Yeah, thanks, Jill. That's a great question. I think the people are probably familiar with uh, their smartphones in particular after a couple of years the battery uh, becomes you know not doesn't make you through the day or it starts to become slower when you've upgraded the new operating system and you know it's a bit more frustrating to use not quite as snappy and so you're like trying to think about well what where do I what should I do about this and and as a part of this is a system where for a number of companies at least they want to get you to buy the next product. And they're more interested in uh, having you date your product rather than get into a long-term marriage because they, you know, <laughs> they're making they're making money in, in, in getting you to buy uh, the next one and date that one instead. So I, I think that comes down to product design decisions. So if they glue the, the device shut where you can't, you know, it doesn't make it easy for you to replace the battery, then that becomes another barrier, more likely for you to move on to the next product. Uh, similarly, with the operating system, if they uh, design if the new operating system doesn't work as well for the older pro- products, then that may make you migrate. I've got another example. I have a, a older uh, MacBook Pro, so 2010. I've you know kept this thing going because I was able to upgrade the memory mm-hmm. and replace the hard drive and do all these things. The new products, unfortunately, you can't do that. You're kind of you get what you're given, and if you want to make it faster, you know, put in more memory or put it in a different type of drive, you can't. And that's uh, unfortunately what we see too much of happening in the sector where companies are more making design decisions that are increasing the amount of turnover in devices. And we really need to move away from that and get people products that are designed well and long lasting and they can actually upgrade and keep them in use longer. 
Absolutely. I'm all for that. Um, Now, the guide offers some outstanding recommendations for rethinking the current business model. And what we just talked about with planned obsolescence is just one part of it. But the first solution or recommendation that the guide gives is to take responsibility for the supply chain footprint. Talk to us about what you're looking for in terms of greater transparency on this item. Yeah, just to make a, a, a distinction, because you have companies that have their own operations and they have their supply chain. And a lot of companies uh, are already taking responsibility for their own footprint and making that has lighter impact. But especially for device manufacturers, most of the, they've outsourced a lot of their manufacturing. So most of their, their impact on the planet is on their supply chain. And you still have a situation where a lot of the sector is not sharing, not reporting what the energy emissions are or pollution being caused from that, even who their suppliers are. You're starting to see that change. Apple, um, I called them out on their product design. They've actually been one of the leaders in this recently where they have been reporting their suppliers, actually working with them to deploy renewable energy alongside the manufacturing. We need to see a lot more of that. We certainly see that you know, Apple can make that happen. Other companies are starting to recognize that hey, if 80% of our carbon footprint is in our supply chain, then we can't just focus on this, this 20% over here. We have to take move on to working with our supply chain and, and reducing that footprint. And some companies like Amazon haven't even reported their own emissions. So we still have uh, you know, a pretty big range of leaders and, and, and laggards here, and we really need to see the whole sector take this, this challenge seriously. Mm-hmm. And and specifically talking about reducing greenhouse gas emissions, how can IT companies reduce that and move their supply chain to renewable energy? Um, how, how would they report on that? I mean, what would you like to see when you do the next iteration of this guide? What kind of data would you like to see them reporting? Yeah, transparency is, is super important, as you'll see in the guide. Um, I think what we need to see is more of what we see some of the leaders doing. Leaders, there's only about five companies in the, of the 17 in there now that report their suppliers and report what, what, what these suppliers are providing them. We need to see more of that and then to see what is the energy footprint or other uh, water potentially footprint that's associated with manufacturing their products. Uh, you're starting to see some of that, but it's still uh, it's very uh, early stages and you don't it's a very big drop off for a lot of companies and what they how they report their own emissions and then how their suppliers report the emissions you've seen some progress i think there a lot of companies are now requiring their suppliers to report their emissions and some are going beyond that and setting goals to reduce their get their suppliers to adopt greenhouse gas reduction goals renewable energy goals these are the things we need to see because they unless they become more demanding as customers, uh, we're not going to see any changes in the supply chain. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now, the guide mentions a phrase called moving beyond the audit. Talk to us about what you mean by that. So we have um, have seen some progress in companies taking more responsibility for certain aspects of the supply chain, particularly in auditing the factories. and looking at the conditions of the factories for the workers there, I think that has been important driver for driving uh, better performance in a number of ways. But I think uh, you also have a tension there. You have companies who are really trying to 
secure, um, you know, maximize their uh, their profits, drive the margins down as low as possible, and constantly switching suppliers in a way that um, you know to, to incre- maintain the lowest price possible. And I think a different model where you saw uh, Fairphone, many of whom. Uh, they don't sell fair funds in the U.S., but they sell them in the EU where they actually took a different approach where they actually went in more in partnership with the supplier. How can we make sure we retain workers because workers who are retained uh, longer generally are producing better products, are much more or better trained on how to protect themselves and sort of use the chemicals or machinery that's in, in the, the factory line in a way that uh, is ensuring their health and safety as well as the environment. So I think moving beyond the audit to where they're just looking at whether they're, they're checking the right boxes and to looking at, all right, how do we actually affect change on a partnership basis with the suppliers and not constantly sort of trying to drive them, focus only on price. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, because that really doesn't help some of these suppliers, especially when you're talking about ones that, you know, are, are operating on the margins, not just of profit, but of society. I mean, some of the suppliers for these companies um, have some pretty tough uh, living and operating conditions. And sometimes it takes uh, a partnership or investment on the part of the company that's the customer um, in order to help some of these suppliers put in um you know, safer worker conditions and, um, you know, the, the kind of maybe machinery that would make worker safety or chemical exposure um, less hazardous. And so, um, you know, are there ways that companies can report on those types of investments in their supply chain? Uh, I think the, you certainly see some companies beginning to do that and for having, putting a bigger investment in working with their supply chain to do trainings and to uh, reduce worker, the, the make sure the workers aren't being overtaxed in terms of working hours per week. And so you, you see some uh, some changes there. I think there's also some, some, some quick changes that uh, could be made that are a bit more systemic, might be more difficult for some companies to do. But a lot of what's driving this sort of pressure on the supply chain is the sort of instantaneousness of how of how fast this manufacturing should happen, last minute changes, which create a lot of pressure on the the factory line, and so you have to have uh, you know quick certain you know long hours in a very concentrated period of time because as a result of these changes. So uh, part of this is constantly you know goes back to where we talked about it a little while ago about the desire to constantly churn into a new product every year or two. And this is all sort of creating pressure down the supply chain. If we had uh, better product design or design in a way that's looking for longer life, upgradability, repairability, uh, that would actually help. That would really reduce the pressure and on the, on the you know, factory lines in a way that uh, you know, is not just about making sure they're in compliance with your audits. Well, and and I think that one of the things that we as consumers and everybody listening um, to the show need to remember is that in as much as some of the big IT companies that we all know about, Facebook, Google, Amazon, etc., Samsung, um, they are 
customers of their supply chain and they can put pressure on their supply chain to improve, um, that pressure ultimately comes from us as consumers. If we're not putting pressure on the companies that we want to patronize and buy products from to do that, um, then there's less of an incentive for them to do that with their supply chain. So it's up to us to demand that kind of um, excellence when it comes to their environmental performance. Well, we're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we have so much more with Gary Cook. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. listening to go green radio with your host jill buck jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show so call us toll free at 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 write to us too save some trees and send us an email to go green radio at gmail.com that's go green radio at gmail.com now back to go green radio with your host jill buck Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all join us. We're enjoying a great conversation with Gary Cook from Greenpeace USA, and we're talking about the brand new guide to greener electronics that they have just released. You know, Gary, I have an intense interest in municipal solid waste, and I see the way that a lot of different municipalities and counties and states deal with e-waste take-back programs. And I'm just wondering what you feel IT companies could be doing to help strengthen those take-back programs. Yeah, thanks, Jill. I think um, part of it is, you know, when you sell someone a, a device, making spending a little bit more of that um exchange and making sure customers know what they can do with their device and it's the end of the product's life. I think there's a lot of, um, if you're like me and many others, you have a lot of drawers full of these devices <laughs> and not necessarily clear about um, what you should do with them, how you make sure you uh, can 
clear the data so when you, you know, you're you're not co- compromising any personal identity information when you turn it back in. Uh, you see some companies starting to do that. I think there needs to be a lot more. And part of it is actually also creating more of a financial incentive for for customers to hand their device back in. You really are only getting uh, decent money if it's a a product basically that that company is going to if it's you're you're selling it back after a year or maybe two years and so what they're going to do they're going to take that product and they're going to sell it to someone else and another maybe another part of the world uh your device actually has quite a bit of um uh, valuable materials in it and if companies become more serious and apple's already put the marker down to have more of a, a closed loop system so where they're actually getting the resources from their next model and from their previous generation models, then you know they should be paying for that because that's actually going to be valuable to them as a company and you know, increases loyalty within their customer base. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's not like a model of that nature isn't already in place. Like, for instance, you know, the... Uh, beverage companies that use aluminum cans learned a long time ago that it's a whole lot cheaper to make new aluminum cans out of recycled cans than to go and continue mining bauxite. So, you know, perhaps, you know, if we can find these financial incentives in um, the companies themselves taking their products back, uh, you know, we talked earlier about how that can inform the engineering and the design as well. If they, if the engineers realize that they've, they've got to be the ones taking it apart to recycle and, and to pull out the, the valuable uh, uh, metals and minerals, then they may find some new ways to make that a little bit easier. So I would love to see companies being more involved in take-back systems. Now, the guide mentioned something else. Uh, you talk about improving recycling technology. And I'd really like for you to talk a little bit about that. Give us some specifics about what you're looking for in that area. Yeah, I think it's really trying to move beyond where you do have recycling. A lot of it is still very um, basic or you know, crude, well, shall we say. And if you're basically chucking the entire device in a shredder and you have the, whatever comes out the other side and sifting through that for what is really more, more valuable, what you really need to have is uh, disassembly and uh, you know, sort of much higher recovery rates. I think too much right now is going into what are basically just shredders and it's only focused on what is most valuable and typically that's precious metals. So we really need to move beyond that type of model and where, uh, again, that goes back in part to product design where you have, um, it's easier to disassemble. It's as a result of being easier, it's much more cost effective from a recycling perspective to go through the trouble of disassembly and recover, get higher recovery rates from the, what's inside. Mm-hmm. Now, this is probably the question everybody's been waiting for. Um, based on your findings, which companies are leading the pack in creating greener electronics? Give us some scores and some grades. Absolutely. So actually, our top scoring company is uh, Fairphone, which I mentioned earlier, but they don't operate uh, in the U.S. They sell smartphones, currently only in the U. But they were uh, overall across the three impact areas we were focused on in the guide, energy, re- uh, reduction of resource consumption, and chemical uh, redu- elimination of hazardous chemicals, they overall scored the highest. Uh, that's in part because of their creating a, a phone that is easy to repair. You can take it apart without any tools. It's modular. Uh, and is a good example of that, uh, what it, how that modularity helps they actually just came out with a 
a new phone, but actually not a new, a new camera for their phones. And so rather than have, a, have to buy a whole new camera by buying a new phone, you just buy the camera. So it's a module yeah. that snaps, snaps, snaps into the phone. So that's the type of you know, innovation we, we really need to see others embrace. Uh, so that were, they were the top scoring companies. Company Apple uh, was scored well, um, particularly on their use of renewable energy in the supply chain. They still have a lot of work to do in terms of making sure their products are heading the right direction in terms of being designed for uh, longer use in terms of repairability and upgradability. Uh, the worst scoring companies we saw um, were really companies like, unfortunately, Samsung, very large uh, manufacturer, really um, falling way behind Apple and others and using renewable energy in their supply chain. We currently only have about 1% just for their own renewable energy for their own operations. Um, and a big uh, deficit we saw across the board for the bottom tier companies was really poor transparency. Amazon in particular, uh, they have taken some action on renewable energy, but they have not even begun to report their, their footprint on the planet, even for, as a company or for the devices specifically. And they, along with some of the newer Chinese brands that are growing very quickly, um, unfortunately are among the worst in terms of their transparency. That's so surprising. I mean, Amazon gets such good PR for so many things. And to hear that they're not even doing some of the rudimentary reporting on their own operations is pretty shocking, really. Um, You know, I'd love for you to talk to our listeners directly about how they can get involved in this, what they can do um, to use the power of the purse. Um, Some of our listeners are college students and they care about these issues so deeply and they just need a few tips and tricks so that they can, you know, fully engage in these issues. What do you have to say for them? Yeah, that companies definitely listen to their customers. We've seen uh, these brands respond to feedback from their customers, pressure from their customers. It's not just, you know, Greenpeace can play a role as a catalyst, but what they really listen to is what their customers say. So it should really be, uh, encourage you to share the guide uh, with your friends and family uh, so that we have more people aware of how, who's doing well and who's not and why. And, and make sure you're taking the opportunity to feedback to them. You, you can start by uh, going to the greenpeace.org forward slash greener guide and there, you can tweet at the companies directly and say you like their scores or, or don't like their scores. But they really need to be hearing from you regularly. And, and you, you know, certainly can vote with their wallet. But uh, I think hearing from, you, from them, having them hear from you throughout a regular basis and tell them why it's important to you that they address these issues and, uh, and give them some encouragement. I think uh, we've seen them respond Many times we, we're confident as people, more people become aware of what needs to change, they'll follow suit. I think that's great advice. And here we are right, you know, right before the holidays. 
another month and we'll be at, you know, Black Friday, Cyber Monday. And a lot of times electronics become holiday gifts. So as you're thinking about what you're going to be giving, what you hope to be getting, um, I think it'd be great if all of our listeners took a look at the Greener Guide and made some choices and and made their lists, uh, both for giving and receiving based upon uh, that guide. And again, you can go to greenpeace.org forward slash greener guide. So thank you, Gary, for joining us. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. We're going to be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. And until then, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.